Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 are the verses that we will concentrate on toward the end of this lesson. So if you want to just be opening your Bibles there, if you haven't done so already, um, and be looking over those verses as we speak about the things that we're going to talk about today, um, that would certainly not be inappropriate, and in fact it would be a good thing if you did that. So, after two months and nine lessons of talking about spiritual family, we've arrived to the point this morning where I would like to share with you some plans that have been in the works for quite a while now, um, in fact, since last year, about this idea of family groups. But before we talk about what this is and what it's going to be like and how we can participate in it, what we need to do is we need to take a step back and we need to look at where we've been so far. Because when, when we go through nine separate lessons together about spiritual family, um, if you're like me and you listen to things on different days, you eventually kind of get jumbled up about which point was where and how that fits into the grand scheme of things and what this thing was all about to begin with. <laughs> So that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time in doing right now. And then we'll start to talk about family groups. And then we will end on Ephesians 3. So you might remember that the way that we started this at the beginning of January was we talked about from the beginning of Scripture, heading into the New Testament, we see this idea that God saves through family. You open up Genesis, and the very first thing you read about is that God created family for plants and trees, seed bearing other seed, bearing other seed according to its kinds. And then when he created the animals, he did that in the same sort of way. He created them to have families. And then he created Adam and Eve. And he didn't just say to them, I'm going to put you in this garden and I'm going to make more Adam and Eves uh, to just populate the earth. What he said to them was, you are now a family that I have created with the capability of creating more family. I've given that that, um, authority to you. So you fill up the globe. But what's neat to see about Genesis 1, 2, and then 3 is that when Adam and Eve mess up, God does not abandon his role for family. What he does is he doubles down. And he says to Adam and Eve, no, you are going to be a family that continues to reproduce. And someday the offspring of this woman who's been deceived and ate that fruit and gave it to her husband so that he could eat it too, there's going to come a son through this family who is going to conquer the snake, who's going to crush him beyond any shadow of a doubt. And so when we look at the rest of Scripture, and we look at Noah's family, we look at Abraham's family, we look at David's family, we look at all these key passages and families in the Bible leading up to Jesus, we can see that they're all prototypes of the true family that God was going to create in His Son. And so we looked at Psalm 22, and we looked at how Psalm 22 talks about this family that Jesus was creating in Himself there in verses 22 through 31. And that kind of just set the stage for everything to follow 
Um, and after that, in the second lesson, we went to Genesis 18, because we mentioned Abraham in here in the first lesson. So we went ahead and we went to a part of his story, and we camped on the openness of his family. We looked at how the angels approached his tent. Or actually, they came near to it, and then they kind of stood afar off, and they waited for Abraham to lift up his eyes, see them, take the initiative to approach them. We noticed how generous he was with them. He was quick to serve them without grumbling. And he didn't make any excuses about that. And so we ended that lesson by basically saying, are we like him? Because, like we mentioned this morning in the class, Romans, we are called the children of Abraham. That is the heritage of Christians. He's not just some random Old Testament character. He is our father in, in a very real sense. Not necessarily by physical lineage, but by spiritual birthright. He's the one that we look up to. And so he is a perfect person to hold up and say, we need to be like this person. Because he's our, he's our father. Now, in the third lesson, we looked at God as really the ultimate foundation of family, and we went to Ephesians. A lot of these lessons have been about places in Ephesians. And we looked at 14 through 21, and we looked at basically two big ideas. That God is the one who is building family by working within all of our lives to accomplish this. This is not something that we do. Um, we can plan, and we can study, and we can talk, and we can think, and we should do all of those things. But ultimately, it's the Spirit who is at work within us, doing all these things. And then the second big idea is that God is the ultimate goal of building family, and why is he doing this? He's doing it because he wants a special place to live. And in the Old Testament, he had his tabernacle. He had then the temple that Solomon built. And so he dwelt with his people in kind of a symbolic way. Uh, but he stood apart from them. He only said, well, I want only the priests to come in. And even that just once in a while. <laughs> uh, you leave me alone. But now his temple is his people, his Family, He lives within us, not locked away beside, behind some building closed doors somewhere. So that's, that's such a neat idea that Ephesians gives us. Is he dwells, his glory dwells within us as his family. The, the fourth lesson was about two passages in Luke. Luke 8 and then Luke 18 about what Jesus said about his family. Because um, there's really no way for us to talk about being a Christian family without going to the Gospels and looking what what Jesus said himself. You may remember in Luke 8, we have this one account of Jesus doing some teaching. And his mom and his brothers come and they can't get to him because of the crowd. And so they send messages to him and they say, hey, we want to talk to you. And so everybody in the crowd starts to say to Jesus, hey, they're outside. You want to go see to that? You want to go deal with that situation? And Jesus looks around the room instead of immediately walking out the door. And he says, my mother and my brothers, my family members are the people who hear my words and do them. And then in Luke 18, you may remember that's the, the rich young ruler. And this young guy comes up to Jesus and he asks a great question. 
But he leaves Jesus very disappointed because he didn't like the answer. And it's at that point that Peter looks at Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, did you know that we have left everything to follow you? Expecting a pat on the back, expecting a, Oh, yes, you did. That's so wonderful, you apostle you. But instead, Jesus looks at Peter and the twelve and he says, Do you know what? Anybody who leaves father or mother or spouse or children or physical family members for the sake of my name, you're going to receive in this time father, mother, brothers, sisters, family members, and in the age to come, eternal life. Which is what the rich young ruler came and asked Jesus about at the beginning anyway. So that's, that's special to us because of where we all are, sometimes in relation to our own family members. We're not necessarily that close to them because we're weird. We follow a crucified Messiah who died 2,000 years ago for our sins and we try to live every day according to his example. That's strange to the world. That's strange to our family members who don't believe in Jesus. But since we do here in this room, we have a special relationship with each other. We can draw strength from that. Jesus said those things about his family. And then we looked at how early Christians practiced family. We looked at especially Acts chapter 2, 42 and 47. Right after Peter gets up and he preaches the first lesson and thousands of people obey the gospel and they give their lives to Christ. Um, Acts 2 tells us about what that looked like when they spent time together. They praised Jesus together. They ate food together. They worshipped together. They enjoyed their lives together. Um, Because they had him in common. And so in verse 47 of that text, the the way that that chapter ends is by God saying, and God was using their togetherness to draw more and more people to his name. God was adding to his number, the, the number of Christians daily, those who were being saved, because these people had joined their lives because of Jesus. And then um, the next lesson was about going back to Ephesians. Yeah, you may, may see a pattern here. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 18 is about the peace of Jesus. You know, the Roman Empire advertised itself as the bringer of peace. You know, we've got our armies, and we can march in, and we can take care of everything for you, and we can make it all right. As long as you pay your taxes, as long as you worship that idol that we put in your town square, as long as you mind your P's and Q's, we won't have any problems and you can have peace. That is only a peace by force. That's not real peace. And the book of Daniel, and we mentioned this this morning, the statue that represented all those different kingdoms, Rome at the bottom, was iron mixed with clay. Iron does not mix with clay. (laughs) And so it's going to fall apart. And that's exactly what was going to happen to Rome eventually. But in the middle of the Roman Empire comes this new kingdom where Jesus says, I can give you true peace. I can give you a peace that lasts. And it's not going to be a peace 
because I hold a dagger at your throat and say, you better obey me or else. It's a peace that comes by looking at his extraordinary sacrifice and his love and, and seeing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he actually does care deeply about our souls. That attracts everybody who truly gets that to himself. And by doing that, he brings them peace. And so that's, that's, what, that's what awaits us in the family of God. And so we talked about that. And then the next sermon was about rethinking what it means to be a member of a local church. And we looked at Acts chapter 9 for that because that's a really neat text where the Apostle Paul, pretty early on in his life as a Christian, he goes to Jerusalem and he tries to join himself to this local body of believers. And at first they don't want him. They think he's trying to get in there and be a mold to turn them all in and kill them all, like he had been doing in his life. But in Acts chapter 9, of course, Barnabas vouches for him, brings him in, and we're told then that what Paul did is he went in and out among this local church, working side by side with them, so that more people could come in to this family and be saved by Jesus. And so we talked about how a local church creates a refuge from the harshness of the world. It gives you companions to work side by side with you. Um, you know, we don't have the picture here of an emotional support network so much as we have a picture of a pulsing, vibrant workstation in which we all come and we get refueled to then get back on the road and drive in the race. And that's what you see happening with Paul. He goes in and out, getting the encouragement, giving encouragement, and then increasing Jesus' church. Um, so that's a, neat, that's a neat thought. I encourage you to think more about that passage. And um, the, the next sermon was about Nehemiah 2.17. Come, let us build. And we looked at how Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, he moved to Israel with no wall building experience, as far as we know. Um, and he goes up to the Israelite leaders and he says, hey, I'm here to help you rebuild your wall. But what he does is he first identifies their issue. He, said, he looks around and he says, hey guys, you see all this, you see all this rubble? <laughs> you see the trouble that we're in? We've got to do something about this. And then he rallies them to a vision that he has. He looks around and he says, come, let's do this. Um, number one, so that we can get a good reputation again, so we can have a wall. Because walls are really good things to have in the ancient world when you've got enemies all around you. But, but also, we want, we want to please God. We want, God is, God's hand is behind this. We need to honor him in this effort. And so we looked at that, we looked about, and we thought about our issues. We thought about our rubble. The fact that we have a need in our family to become more of a family. And so our vision that we're going to rally to is Ephesians. Um, Ephesians 3 that we're going to you know, spend time talking about this morning again. But also Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 10. We thought about that passage and how the plan that is described there, and he uses the word plan, is for the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus, in Him. 
things in heaven and things on earth. That's, that's our goal. Because that's God's goal. And then finally, we looked at obstacles to family. Um, and that's a really different kind of sermon because all we did was we put six ideas up on a screen and we looked at different passages that kind of touched on those things. And three of those obstacles were kind of superficial, things like the physical distance that we have away from each other. We live Massachusetts, New Hampshire, all over kind of the area. Um, we thought about we thought about busyness that we have in our schedules. We thought about differences that we have. Um, but those are really not the deeper issues. The issues of the heart are the main thing, aren't they? Apathy, inertia, ignorance about the true vision of God and what he wants for his people. The purpose of a local church is not to just come to a building and do some stuff. I mean, it goes much deeper than that. And so this was just to help challenge our thinking so that we can understand that if we need to make changes, there are big reasons for why we need to do that. Okay, so that's where we are. And I realize that that's a lot. And I realize that you might have to go back and maybe listen to some of those sermons to remember what they were about. But I wanted to just give us a snapshot of where we have been so that we can talk now about something that hopefully will have some meaning to us having gone through those lessons. So I want to talk now about family groups. What are family groups? Family groups, at least what we're calling them, are small groups of Christians in a local congregation that's kind of divided up into small groups that meet together for basically three reasons. For social reasons, for service reasons, and for spiritual reasons. And, and that's, that's, that triangle is kind of how I picture us orienting ourselves around. And so in a nutshell, these groups are just things in which we can practice being a family together. So let's kind of talk through these three ideas. Spiritual reasons why we want to do this. When we're going to get together in these small groups, and we're going to meet in homes, we might meet in places outside of our homes, but wherever we meet, we want to keep in mind that God is the one who unites us. Ultimately, that's not something that we can do. So I have envisioned, and I talked to the group leaders about this, that, that, we would, that we would spend a little bit of time every time we meet together in a group to have a short scripture reading or a devotional. Maybe we even just go around the room for 10 minutes and, and talk to each other about what we can pray for each other about in the coming week. Whatever that looks like, that's up to your group leader to decide that. But we, we get together and we do something spiritual to remind ourselves that God is the one we're supposed to be focused on. Um, we'll also get together for reasons of service. You know, I, sometimes when a need arises uh, amongst us in our congregation, sometimes there are only just a few people that tend to know about those things and then tend to do something about those things. And so what I had kind of designed these small family groups to do is to become more aware of what we all need so that we can all meet each other's needs together. 
So whether that's something as simple as you've got a lot of yard work in the fall and the leaves are overwhelming to you and you would like some help cleaning up your yards, you can have a group meeting that month at that person's house cleaning up their yard. Or you can have a group meeting that's focused on writing a bunch of cards to a particular set of Christians, either here or somewhere else, that really need encouragement that month. Or you can have a group meeting in which you all go and visit a widow that we have. You all visit uh, Jeannie Leach, who, who really, frankly, doesn't get out and, and that often and come to our assemblies here at this church building very much. There are all kinds of things that we can do in service to each other. Your group leader is going to talk to you more about that. Uh, later on. But then also we get together for social reasons. As we've studied, it's important for Christians to eat together. It's important for Christians to enjoy life together. And so I envision us meeting in each other's homes uh, and doing something like having pizza, like having a potluck, like doing a bring your own where everybody kind of has some food to contribute uh, to themselves at that place. Whatever that looks like, we eat, we're going to eat together, and and we're going to recreate together. Uh, that might be board games, that might be card games, that might be we all go hiking at the Flume Gorge together. That might be we all go bowling together. It's going to look like a lot of different things, but the point is we get together and we have fun together. And I realize that not all of us recreate the same way. You know, maybe you, you hear hiking and you think, ooh, that is like the last thing in the world that I would want to do with my Saturday afternoon. Um, I understand that, that we may have some differences about that, but because when we meet together in these groups, we're going to probably have a blend of all three of these purposes, you know, you're not going to be left out. You'll have something to think about, something to do, something to engage in, um, even if it's just... You know, being together and talking and, and thinking about God and having something to do to help other people. So the way this is going to work is we're going to have five groups. And, and now you get to find out what the green dots are. <laughs> so I, I flashed this map on the screen maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I talked about how each of these dots represents uh, a family that we have, um, or an individual, somebody who has their own house. Um, we're kind of all over the map here. But the green dots are the homes of the five group leaders that are going to be spearheading this project, which would be myself and Steve and Mo and Herb Turner and Eric. And so we are all divided up. Every single one of us, every single family, every person into five of these groups. And I'm going to have these to pass out at the end of our service that explains where you are, which group you're in, which house you're going to attach yourself to and the family there. And so if you have questions about all of this afterwards, feel free to see me or some of the group leaders, especially the one that you're in. Um, I would give this to you now, but in my experience, when I give out handouts at, in, a, in the middle of a lesson, people spend the rest of the lesson like this. And so I do want you to have these, but not at the moment. Um, so that's, that's basically, uh, I think, a good nutshell of this. This is going to start, Lord willing, next month. 
So we're going to spend March trying to prepare ourselves to get ready for doing this. And then at some point next month, we're going to start the process of actually meeting in each other's homes. Um, I have suggested to the group leaders that we do this uh, at least once a month. Um, And so it's at the discretion of of the group leaders and you guys in your groups about how that all goes. But at least once a month, we're going to be getting together um, in in this kind of way uh, to do these kinds of things. And I put a lot of thought into who goes into what group. Um, And I'm sure that I could have done a better job. But I didn't want to, say, put Don Small in Steve Ledford's group. Uh, So the group that you're in somewhat depends on where you live and who you live by, but it also depends on who you are, because I didn't want to put all of the singles in one group uh, and and all of the the young people in one particular group. We're going to be blended, because the whole idea behind this is we all need to get to break out of our comfort zones a little bit and our molds and our habits and get to know people that we wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards uh, if we're just palling around here at the church building and talking to each other. Um, so you might, you might be together with people that you don't really know that well. Uh, but my encouragement is, is that we, we stick it out and we try to do this. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a moment to address, I think, the three attitudes that are probably running around this room right now in everybody's heads. I think, I think there's three reactions to this going on right now. I think some of us here are excited about this potential, this possibility. We're excited about the good that this could do for our congregation. Maybe we already have ideas about how to make this better and how to make it work. Um, and that's great. Uh, keep up that excitement. I think some of us, though, are probably in the middle about this. Some of us, maybe you have a skeptical personality. Maybe you just like more information. Maybe you are not really quite sure yet how this is going to work, and you're not that confident about it. Um, I understand that. But stick with us. And then I think there's also a third group in here, probably. And that is maybe some of you are, are thinking, you know, I really did not volunteer for this. I never told anybody that I wanted to be part of a family group. Um, I never said that I wanted to be you know, stuck on a page with my name right there next to all these other names. And I want to address that and say, you're right, you didn't volunteer for that. And so I recognize that. But what I want to make clear about this is that we are not trying to force anybody to do something against their will. What this is, is a spiritual tool to put into your hands to try to help you. And so even if, even if you don't really like the sound of this uh, right off the cuff, my encouragement for you would be to try this out and give it, uh, give it your energy before you decide that this is really not for you. Now help us try to make this something that is not only encouraging, but something that's constructive for us, that helps build family. Because ultimately, that's what Jesus wants for us, not just what I want or the elders want. Um, So, when we think about that, and our purpose statement behind all this is the passage that Bruce read for us this morning, the passage that we've already been studying about throughout these lessons, Ephesians 3, 14-21, especially 17-19. 
The whole reason why we're doing this is to provide an aid for our efforts to grow more unified so that we can better know Christ. That's what this is about. I don't have time to talk more about this, but feel free to grab me afterwards and we'll have more discussions about this. But now, what I want to do for the remainder of our time before we read Ephesians 3 again is I want to just, I want to give some cautions about our attitudes heading into a project like this. Uh, And I want to say this first of all, that planning and organization doesn't automatically create closeness. That that's something that only Jesus' gospel does. So for those of us in the room who hear about this and we're like, yes! That's incredible. Why haven't we done something this earlier? You know, this is just going to be the catalyst to change our congregation. Uh, I wanted to say to you, keep your enthusiasm, but please don't put your eggs into the wrong basket. Uh, Because change doesn't inherently cause spiritual growth. No more than changing curriculum. No more than changing worship service times. No more than changing, you know, if we ripped out all the pews and we put, we put chairs in here instead of that, what we have. You know, change is not, on, you know, externally altering things doesn't necessarily produce spiritual growth. Only our hearts touched by the gospel does that. Um, and so there's a good reason why when we started this series, I did not lead off with this lesson. This, is, this lesson comes at the very end because I want to make it clear that human planning, as imperfect as it is, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying that the, the Spirit uses this little effort to, to draw us closer to each other. But ultimately, executing this plan perfectly is not what's going to make us a spiritual family. The way that happens is when Genesis and Ephesians and Acts, and all of the passages that we've been studying about, Nehemiah, when that penetrates our hearts, that's when we will become closer. This is just an external aid to try to nudge us a little bit out of our comfort zones to try to to go more in the direction of those good works. But I want to be clear about this, that God is the one changing us, and specifically the gospel message is what this is all about. Also, I want to I wanna say this, that occasional group activities are not a substitute for continually, habitually open hearts and homes. I'm a little concerned that along the way, as we go through the, these family group activities, that some of us might be tempted to develop the mindset of, well, I did that thing that I'm supposed to do for the month, and I can check off that hospitality box, and I'm good. Like, I've fulfilled my Christian duties. I've, I've, I've gone to this brother's house. I went bowling with them. I did whatever it was that we were going to do, and now I have achieved what you know I was supposed to do. And, and I want to just be really clear that in the New Testament, the early Christians were not taught that organized church activities is the full extent of what it means to become a living sacrifice. That in Romans 12, we're going to get there in our class, that is an entire life activity. 
That is not something that is limited to a particular Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. It's, it's, it, it, our entire existence should be this. Um, I guarantee you that when Abraham opened up his home for those angels, it wasn't because it was organized. It wasn't because you know he had set aside that as his hospitality day. Oh, these angels came at the right time. Now I can give you my food and my shade. That's not the way that it worked. He just was hospitable. And so this is meant to help us toward this goal, but this is not the sum total of what hospitality is going to look like here, I hope. Um, I want, to, I want to, to be excited when I hear that people are participating in group functions, but I'm going to be even more excited when I hear about things happening organically, when, when I hear about you getting together with somebody else outside of official, organized family group stuff and, and, and doing what you can to reach out, um, that's, that's really the goal for this. Um, something else, I, I think I've talked about this before, but I want to mention this caution as well. A spiritual mindset builds a family, not a particular location. I don't want us to think that we just can't really be a family here within these walls. And that family time is really what happens when we're outside of this church building and we're in each other's homes and we're eating together and doing all those things. When Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, that where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them, that is just as true here as it will be when you're in Herb's house or you're in Moe's house or you're in Eric's house or my house or Steve's house doing things in the name of the Lord. Um, I realize that we can get in a rut here. We can. And we can come here and we can just put on our, our, our attitude of, this is not really where we get to know people. This is not really where we draw closer. Um, but that's only as true as the attitude that we have. God can draw us closer here. We can be a family here. And that's just as true as what we're going to do in these things here. The spiritual mindset builds a family, not a particular location. And also, this last attitude I want to present to us, that simply feeling more connected to each other is really not the main goal of, of this effort. Now, I do, I do hope that everybody in this congregation does feel connected to at least somebody else in, in this church. But we have to realize that our service to Jesus and our service to each other is not based on feelings because feelings are like this. They're up and down with the tide. They're up and, and we feel great with other people and then we're down and we don't like anybody. You know, sometimes feelings just are deceitful in terms of yardsticks for where we actually are with unity. And, and feelings are not good tools for creating and building unity. Feelings are just feelings. I mean, they're just there. Um, they don't have any, any lasting value. Uh, the words of Scripture are the hardware and the gauges for building and creating spiritual family. Um, and so we would certainly want to feel close. 
Um, but that's ultimately not the main thing that we're trying to produce here. Um, ultimately, what we're trying to do is achieve what Ephesians 3 talks about. So I realized that Bruce read that for us already. I realized that we've talked about this text already in previous lessons. But I want to read this with you again. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, we'll end here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Throughout all generations. We're not the first Christians in the world. There have been Christians for many, many many generations. And we're just another one down the line that's trying to figure out how to become closer, not just to each other, but closer to this Lord who gives us His love. We need strength to do that. And that strength comes through Christ living in us. So that's where I want to leave things this morning. If you are someone who does not yet have Christ living within you in your life, there's no way that any of the things that we've been talking about this morning really have any meaning to you. This only makes sense if we put it in a context of knowing Christ. So you need to know Christ first. So if you need to obey the gospel or you need to return to Jesus... And you need to give him your life again. Let us know how we can help you. How we can study, how we can pray, how we can put you in water so that Jesus can cleanse your heart and your conscience and your soul. We'd love to serve you this morning if you need us to. As together we stand up and we sing the invitation song.